recruiting for your army. I'm sure you'd want some experienced people, some strong people, some skilled engineers, some well-equipped people, but you'd also need these people. 1 Chronicles 12 verse 32, it's in a description of David, King David's army, and it's included men of Issachar who understood the times and knew what Israel should do. We need people who understand the times and know what Israel, in other words the church, should do. Are you such a person? Do you understand the times you're living in and do you know what we should do about them? This is our third Sunday on this theme of the need of our time. And tonight I want us to think about our relationship with the society around us. Now, Christians claim to be marginalised in our society. Christians are claiming to be pushed out and treated unfairly. And they say things like, well, people are scared to criticise Islam. But they'll say anything offensive they like about Christianity without any worry. Others say, what are you talking about? Look, you've got bishops in the House of Lords. The Queen of England is the supreme governor of the Church of England. They say Christian prayers at the start of every session of Parliament. Christianity is establishment. What do you mean you're marginalised and pushed out? Well, which one's right? What should we expect our relationship to society to be like? Establishment or marginalised? Well, tonight's message is going to be expect to be marginalised. In fact, we need Christians to be, uh, we ourselves should be, outsiders whose lives are for the benefit of insiders. And we're going to use 1 Peter to see that, and you really will need 1 Peter open in front of you. Page numbers on notice sheet, if that helps you. And there are also um, notes that show you where we're going with this, because we're not going to be in one particular verse. We're going to dot around all over the place. In 1 Peter. So, 1 Peter. First of all, we're going to see this from 1 Peter. Face it, you're an outsider. I'm talking to my fellow Christians here. We need to face it. We are outsiders. That should be our expectation. 1 Peter was written to Christians who were outsiders. You see it from the very first verse. Chapter 1, verse 1. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world. They're strangers. What's a stranger? Why, someone who's different from you. Someone who isn't known to you. Chapter 1, verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. Strangers here, we're not at home here. This isn't our home. Well, it isn't the home of the people he's writing to. Chapter 2, verse 11. 1 Peter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires. Aliens. (laughs) Now, children, do not think of little green men from Mars. It's a pity it uses the word aliens. It just means foreigners. Foreigners and strangers. It's saying you're an outsider. Foreigners and strangers, well, think of a refugee from Afghanistan 
who was settled in the Scottish Highlands. Wow, that would be a shock to the system, wouldn't it? <laughs> miserable. I, I, I had a friend from Scotland, he said, miserable weather and miserable people. He was Scottish, so he's allowed to say it. And everyone around this refugee is different. And it's hard to feel at home. Oh, David, sorry, I was not meaning to be rude to you. I'd, I'd thought I was safe. It was a Scottish person who said it. Oh dear, I will go and eat humble pie afterwards. (laughs) Let's get back to our refugee from Afghanistan in the highlands of Scotland. And the people around have this poor view of him. When there's a crime in the neighbourhood, they think, oh, it must be him. Because he's different. He's odd. He's the outsider. They think his way of life is odd and wrong. And they don't like that he doesn't fit in with their way of doing things. And that's the experience of the Christians described here. So, moving on to the next verse, chapter 2, verse 12. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day he visits us. They accuse you of doing wrong because you're an outsider and you're different. And if you're different, well, you must be wrong because we're right. Chapter 3, verse 16 You've got to speak to them, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against your good behaviour in Christ may be ashamed of their slander. These Christians are being slandered because they're different, they're outsiders. Chapter 4, verse 4. They think it's strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation. What a long, awkward word. It basically means letting your sin go. I think it does. Someone else can say better later. Don't correct me now. And they heap abuse on you. They think it's strange that you're not like them. And you don't go along with sin like them. And so the Christians suffer. Chapter 4, verse 12. Dear friends, do not be surprised at the painful trial you are suffering, as though something strange were happening to you. And Peter says, you suffer because of this, but don't think it's strange, because you are a stranger. And you have to expect to be treated like a stranger, an outsider. And in some ways it's summarised by the almost last verse. Chapter 5, verse 13. So it began with you are strangers and it ends with chapter 5, verse 13. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you her greetings. And so does my son Mark. It's probably talking about Christians in Rome, but it calls it Babylon. The world is Babylon. Christians in the world are like the Israelites in Babylon. Exiles in a hostile environment. 1 Peter is shaping, or it should shape our expectations, and it's saying, expect to be an outsider. Now, let's try to relate that to our situation. Christians think like this. We used to be establishment, and now we're marginalised. Church-going used to be normal, and now it makes you an oddity. This used to be seen as a Christian country. Now, it's a secular country. You go into the Houses of Parliament, if you ever get the chance, it's well worth going and seeing, you'd see many Christian pictures and symbols around. Because Christianity shaped lawmaking. Now it most definitely doesn't. And the idea that the Bible should shape lawmaking has been most definitely rejected. 
Now, Christians thinking like that are right. The situation has changed. Christendom has effectively ended. The idea of the UK being a Christian nation has effectively ended. I hope you realise that. We are not establishment. But we are wrong when we think that's a surprising disaster. That tends to be the way. We might recognise what's happened, but then we think it's a surprising disaster. No, we're actually reverting to normal. 1 Peter tells us this is to be expected. We are outsiders. The Christians in the first century in the Roman Empire were most definitely outsiders, and yet the church grew amazingly. The norm down through church history has been for God's people to be outsiders, strangers and aliens in the world. Even in Britain, even in Britain, the last couple of hundred years where Christians have been seen as insiders has not been normal. I'll give you a couple of examples of that. John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. Now that book became establishment. It became recognised as a great piece of English literature and until recently most people knew about it. Probably now most haven't. But still quite a lot would have done. And certainly pretty recently most people would have known about John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. But who was it written by? A man in prison. Imprisoned for preaching the gospel. A rank outsider. That has been the norm even in Britain. We've just had a couple of hundred years where it's changed and got a bit unusual and we've been the insiders. Another example, the Methodist Church. Now, have you been to Parliament Square and seen Methodist Central Hall? They've got a thing that's virtually a cathedral, a great big impressive building in the centre of London. And it's got a statue there of John Wesley, an establishment figure. Charles Wesley's hymns are sung on Songs of Praise on the BBC. Is that a good measure of being establishment? Probably. But when the Wesleys were alive, they were outsiders. They had to preach in fields and graveyards because they were shut out of churches and seen as fanatics. In Hayes, where Lou and I used to live, John Wesley tried to preach in the local parish church, and while he was preaching, they got in the bell tower and rang the bells and spat on his head. Stop him preaching. And he had to go and preach elsewhere. They were outsiders. That's been the norm, even in Britain. There's a bit about our situation, and that leads to our danger. There's a danger for us here. You see, Christianity being respectable and establishment for the last little while, Christians being insiders for the last few centuries, gives us a danger. A danger is we expect that to be normal. We think something's going wrong when that seems to be changing. And we want to be insiders. We want to be respected by our society. And that desire has always been a snare to the church. Take, for example, the Roman Empire. Christians were outsiders. They were under pressure. They were persecuted. And so they had to love and support each other and set their sights on heaven. And so they were an amazing example. And the church grew. And then you know what happened? The Emperor Constantine 
claimed to become a Christian, made Christianity establishment, and it became respectable. And it drew in a load of false believers. And the church got influence, and it wanted to keep influence. And if you get influence and want to keep it, that always means you won't speak out against sin, at least not your society's sins. And the church's witness, well, became a bad one. Victorian England, let's take that as an example, Christianity was respectable. And respectable meant middle class. And it meant keeping separation from the poor. And it meant not speaking out against hypocrisy. Because then you'd lose your privileged position. There was a lot that was strong about the Victorian church, but there were some very serious weaknesses bound up with wanting to be respectable. Now, today, respectable is very different from in Victorian England. Today, respectable means edgy and young and LGBT affirming and able to discuss the latest episode of Game of Thrones. Now, for a church to be respectable, it will speak out against Victorian hypocrisy and slavery. But that's easy, isn't it? It won't speak out against today's sins in our society. It's it's important we realise this, that respectable doesn't mean the same thing as it did 50 years ago. Don't think of a person in a suit or someone attending the Women's Institute. Don't think of the bishops and the Queen. Think of the desire to be accepted by the people who matter in society around us. The people who matter to you in the group you mix with. Maybe better than respectable, it should be said, the desire to be respected. When the church has wanted to be respected, accepted, it's always dulled its saltiness. It's always dimmed its light. It's always deadened its witness. The times when the church has been most effective are the times when Christians have been different. And different isn't popular. And different makes you an outsider. Fellow Christian, we've got to face it. We are outsiders. But, here's the second point. So we've got to face it, we're outsiders. But secondly, your life should benefit insiders. Now, 1 Peter tells Christians, you are outsiders. Right from the start, he reminds them of that. But it also tells us, don't purposely separate from others. Live in a way that benefits the insiders, the unbelievers around you. I just want to quickly run through three ways. The first is good example. Chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Benefit others by being a good example. Chapter 2, verse 11. Dear friends, I urge you, as aliens and strangers in the world, to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Live such good lives among the pagans, that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. They are outsiders, but they are to live in a way that is a good example to those around them. Now, I've got a little book here by Krish Kandaya, who actually has a connection with this church. And it's a book for students, new students at university. And uh, he's got an example of two students. I presume he's made them up and they're not real. It says, May has been going to church all her life. 
She has been taught that Christians don't drink alcohol, so she's never been in a pub. She has been told that the media is a corrupting influence, so her family didn't own a TV. She has been told that rock music has satanic lyrics recorded backwards in them to try to hypnotise young people, so she only has praise CDs. May's first week at university was a tough one. It was as if she had landed on another planet. There was temptation everywhere. TV in the common room, all-night drinking sessions, rock music blaring from every room. May ate breakfast before anyone else got up and cooked dinner while the others watched neighbours. She was like a ghost on her corridor, and her only oasis of sanity was the CU. She wrote this text up on her wall. Dear friends, I urge you as foreigners and exiles to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Nina became a Christian in the summer holidays. She was beginning a film studies course and could recite all of Stanley Kubrick's scripts from memory. She played lead guitar in a new metal band that gigged regularly, raising money for the Sri Lankan orphanage and her bro- that her brother was involved in. Nina loved her first week at university and was the life and soul of the corridor. She did go along to the CU um, and her first meeting there was a strange experience. She turned up with her pint and her cigarette and her platform shoes and pink hair extensions and felt very out of place and no one talked to her. She would not go again. She wrote a text from 1 Peter on her wall. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Now that's really out of date, isn't it? Neighbours, is there such a programme as Neighbours anymore? and CDs and platform shoes, but even though it's out of date, I hope you get the point. Here are two people with two very different ideas about holiness and both getting it wrong. 1 Peter is amazing. It puts together in verse 11 and 12 being strangers and aliens and living among the pagans. It puts together... We are to be good examples by being different, but not by being absent. We are to live different lives, but they are to be among the unbelievers. We are to be outsiders whose lives are noticed by the insiders. And that leads into the next section. Verse 11 and 12 are really leading into the next section, which is from verse 13 right the way through to chapter 3, verse 7, and it's telling us to have good relationships. This section, and we won't read through it, but it's saying being strangers in the world doesn't mean being unconcerned about the world. This section tells us, be good citizens who relate well to the authorities. Be good workers who relate well to your boss. Be good family members who relate well to unbelieving relatives. Now, I'm not going to preach that section. How you do that is a big subject I'm not going into now. The point is, you need to face it. Belonging to Christ is not going to get you into the in crowd at work or at school or even maybe amongst your relatives if they're unbelievers. But you should still work at getting on with those people. Belonging to Christ means you will separate yourself from conversation that is gossipy or unclean 
but you'll work hard at making conversation that shows friendship and takes an interest in people. doesn't mean you'll hive off and have nothing to do with them. Good example, good relationships, and then good words. Chapter 3, verse 15. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. We are outsiders. We are, we are different. We have to expect people to think we're odd, but we've got to work hard at our lives being good for them through good example, good relationships, and good words. Words that point to Christ whenever we can. Good examples, good relationships, good words. Why? If we're strangers and aliens in the world, why bother about good example, good relationships and good words? With the world. To the world. Well, the answer is in chapter 2, verse 12 that we read. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. And the answer is in chapter 3, verse 1, that introduces that little section about families. Wives, in the same way, be submissive to your husbands, so that if any of them do not believe the word, they may be won over without words by the behaviour of their wives. Although we're outsiders to the world, we're to love the people in the world. And we're to care about God's honour in the world. And so we work at, good example good relationships and good words. And notice the first two have by far the most emphasis here. To honour God and to win people out of the world. Now this is hard. It's easy to be may or meaner. Do you remember those two from Krish Kandaya's book? It's easy to be either of those. It is hard to be an outsider who benefits insiders. So third section, we've had face it, you're an outsider, we've had but your life must benefit insiders. And thirdly, well what will help you to do this? Because it is hard. Does 1 Peter give us any help? Yes he does. He reminds us things we need to know, things we need to appreciate if we're going to manage this. And the first is, appreciate who you are. Let's go back to chapter 1 verse 1. Chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect, strangers in the world, scattered throughout Pontus, Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Jesus Christ and sprinkling by his blood. It's hard being a stranger in the world, but fellow Christian, you are not a stranger to God. Before the world began, he knew you, and he loved you, and he chose you. He chose to save you. He wanted to have you as his, you personally. Not just you happen to be in some sort of group and he needed a certain number of Chinese people and a certain number of English people and a certain number of rich and a certain number of poor and you happen to fit the random sample. No, you, he loved you and he desired you and he chose to save you. And now you're one of his elect, chosen to belong to him. 
And Peter puts this first in his letter. Because that's the sort of security you need in a hostile world. You're not just someone who who happens to have made a decision for Christ. God loved you. And he said, I'll have you as mine. And he didn't just do that back before the world began. He then did this. Chapter 1, verse 17. Since you call on a father who judges judges each man's work impartially, live your lives as strangers here in reverent fear. For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your forefathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Live your lives as strangers here, but it's hard to live your life as a stranger here. But fellow Christian, you've been redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. That's how much God loves you. Enough for Jesus to have died for you. And that's what we have to keep hold of and keep an appreciation of if we're going to live as strangers here. When I was a student, I went with one fellow student to a day conference at the European Bank for Reconstruction and Development. Really swanky building. In fact, they'd gone into trouble for all the money they spent on their building in the city of London. And the conference, it was a one-day conference, and the tickets were 600-and-something pounds each for the day. That was in the mid-90s. I didn't pay that, by the way. And it was full of all these smart city workers. And me and my friend, we got ourselves a suit each and we tried to look smart, but we still looked like students. We did not look like smart city workers. And they did not talk to us. And we drank their expensive wine and ate their nice food with them all having nothing to do with us. But so what? So what? The organiser and the chair of the conference had invited us and paid for us and got us in and he came and talked to us. So so what that all the other people turn their back on us. When feeling it that you're an outsider at work or at school or even in your family, remember who you are. Elect. Loved, chosen and redeemed by God. Peter purposely starts with that. But then remember who you follow. Who you follow. Let's have a look at chapter 2, verse 4. Chapter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house. Now, do you see, it says we are to be like living stones, and it says in verse 4, Jesus is the living stone. In other words, we're to be like him. But look at him in verse 4. Chosen by God, but rejected by men. And that's what we're to expect. Chosen by God, but rejected by men. Look at who you follow. Chapter 2, verse 21, written to slaves being mistreated. And that could have meant some very severe beatings. Chapter 2, verse 21, to this you were called, because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps. Follow in his steps... And his steps were these. He was an outsider. He was rejected by the people who matter. He was not in the in crowd. And yet he was a better citizen, a better Jew than any of them. 
He was the ultimate outsider whose life benefited insiders through his good example, good relationships and good words. So to know what it means to be in the world but not of the world, look at Jesus. If you're going to do it because it's really hard, you need to know who you are, who you follow, and then lastly, what your future is. What your future is. We read chapter 1 earlier, didn't we? And it has in verse 4. God has given us an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you. 1 Peter has running through it this theme of future hope. Because he's writing to people who need it. The Christian registrar or baker who's told, go against your conscience or get another job. Can't just get another job. The Christian couple wanting to adopt and facing some pretty hostile questioning from the social worker. The Christian teenager under multiple pressures at school about how to speak and how to dress and how to think about sexuality and what to watch. Peter doesn't pretend these things are easy. He says, chapter 4, verse 12, it's a painful trial, but don't think it's strange. He doesn't say, come on, it's not that bad. He says it's a painful trial. But instead he says, look ahead. Look ahead, there's hope. Know what your future is. Your future is to be an insider with God. Your future is to be inside his home with his people. Where there are no inner circles. There are no in-groups and out-groups. There are no feelings of, I'm not one of them, so I'm not really worthy. In his home, where you are as fully loved and accepted as the Son of God on the throne himself. So, Christian brothers and sisters, do you have a firm grasp of these? Who you are, who you follow, and what your future is. We need it because we are in Babylon. And being an exile in Babylon is hard work. We've got the difficult role of being outsiders, who don't just hive off and keep away, no, whose lives benefit the insiders. So let's pray for help to do that.